So we were talking about it's very near in your mouth and in your heart to do it. And what we were saying is that when a person really thinks about God from the perspective of what God truly is versus what I have assumed God is from my own understanding, I can really come to an appreciation of God and from there a desire to do God's will. But if I feel like my heart is closed, I feel disconnected and I feel like I'm, I'm un able to uh, really think about God in this context. It's usually due to the fact that there are blocks in my heart. And then my first port of call before I begin trying to think about my relationship with God is to open my heart. And that's going through a process of, of teshuva, which is really acknowledging the grief that I might be feeling in my heart over the feelings of disconnection that I have or feelings of regret over things I acted or did that were not in line with the truth of who I am. And that opens the heart, and from there, there can be an opportunity to think about God again. Now, the next chapter, what he's going to say is that, why the word very? In this posuk, which translates that it is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart to do it. He says, why very? Because very implies that like it's very easy. But the thing is, is that what if a person has very limited understanding of God? What if a person never was taught about God? What if a person doesn't know about God? What if a person is illiterate or has no ability to contemplate or focus their mind or understand or to meditate? It's not an easy, simple thing to meditate. It's not an easy, simple thing to acquire knowledge about God. You have to have... Nowadays, we have access to information that we haven't always had. Nowadays, we have more access to information than we've ever had in the history of the universe. And if I want to know about God, I know which book to look up. And I know that it's in translated into a language that I can understand. And I know that I can at least attempt to try and read it. And I know that there are many teachers online that I will teach on the subject if I just Google them. And, but that wasn't always the case. It used to be that if you didn't know someone who knew the information that you needed and they didn't have the time and the patience to teach it to you, <laughs> the information wasn't available to you. They didn't have libraries and there wasn't, you know, before printing presses, had to handwrite a book to copy it if you wanted to have that information. It was really not simple to, to get information. And information was usually available only in places like schools where they had copies of certain books or institutions and things like that. People didn't really have private libraries at home unless you were wealthy and you could afford that. So information was not always available to every person. And, and being as the Torah is timeless, meaning that every postdoc in the Torah is relevant for all generations, what do, what do you mean by it's very near to you in your mouth? Very. We're talking this word very. It doesn't seem very. Yes, if someone can teach you and you understand and you can contemplate on it, yeah, I can understand how it would be enough of a motivation to shift and transform your actions. So what he goes on to say is that the reason why he calls it very is because even if a person doesn't know how to contemplate and doesn't understand the greatness of God, there is an instinct within the heart of every single Jew which he calls the hidden love of God, which is an inheritance, it's part of our DNA. We have inherited a love of God in our hearts from the patriarchs, from Abraham. He passed it over to us as an inheritance. Now this just opens wide this whole question of, first of all, what is a hidden love and what does it mean that we inherited an emotional state? So hidden just means that it's not in a state of overt experience. It's not something that we experience in like a palpable expansion and love in our heart towards that person. But if we take time to think about that person, and if we take time to think about the relationship we have with that person, we might start to feel that palpable love. But most of the time we go about our life, we're not really thinking about it, so we don't really feel it. It's just there in the background. It is what it is. 
But so this is what he's saying is the hidden love of God, and it can very easily be revealed. Now, what does it mean that we inherited an emotion? Now, one of the things I would like to point out here is that we talk about inherited trauma, but did we ever think about inherited strengths? A lot of times when people hear about, oh my gosh, I'm just about dealing with my own traumas, never mind my grandparents and transgenerational stuff. But the, the flip side of that, because everything comes in a pair, everything comes with a flip side, is that if you inherited their traumas, you also inherited their strengths. And it begins with this inheritance that we have got from Avram Avinu, which is the inheritance of a deep feeling of love towards God as a Jew. So You say that, but I think that we're much weaker men, you know, the generations above. So even though we inherit their strength, it's a much weaker version, whereas the trauma seems to be much stronger. I think the question is, well, how are you, how are you defining weaker and, str- and stronger? Defining weaker that is not manageable. We're not managing our emotions. Well, we're not managing to suppress our emotions, I think. I think that in the past generations, the coping strategy was to survive, practically speaking, but to really disconnect and disassociate from our inner world. And what's happening now is that we are beginning to have the capacity to process our inner world and become aware of our emotions and to process things. Yeah, it's infinite, so we can't yeah. even process. Right, so what we're, we're standing, it's kind of like we're standing at, at the, at, in, in the face of something so much greater than ourselves, so we're looking at our inner world and saying, wow, that is intense, that is a lot. But we're in a place where we can become aware of that. I don't know if you've ever come across a person who is so blocked internally that they're even unaware that they are feeling anything unaware that they that maybe that there is something different that can be done or or felt or thought about just very very stuck in this is how you deal with things you just don't talk about them or something like that but the fact that we are willing to talk and we're willing to take risks and we're willing to learn and we're willing to think how do I want to respond to this even if temporarily it might look like we're flaming around in the dark there's a certain strength that allows us and gives us the ability to face and take that risk. To take that risk of facing it and getting curious and not knowing and seeing where it takes us. There's not many people who are doing that That's work. why there's a lot of therapy. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays there's, there's a lot of different options for therapy and it's becoming more and more mainstream. I mean, even when I was a kid, it was like, you go to therapy? <laughs> What's wrong What's with wrong you? With you? <laughs> that wasn't that long ago. That was like thirty years ago. Oh, and that was a friend. You have a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now she, she's so and now weird. and now people will actually say, "Oh, I spoke to my therapist yesterday," and she said, "And it's yeah. completely normal in conversation. No one's looking at you funny. They you actually look, admire you. They're like, wow, you go to therapy. Good for you.' We're taking strides. We're doing well. We're doing well. We're always standing on the shoulders of the people before us. Every generation is just doing one step more than the generation before. And it's very easy for us to sit and judge past generations and say like, oh, they never did this and that. But you know when you don't know that you don't know? You know? Mm. I'm just doing one step more than I got. Every generation has its own specific challenges. So how did we end up inheriting this hidden love of God from Abraham, Avinu? And the answer is, is because Abraham, or all the, all the patriarchs, they were absolute channels for divine will which basically means that they didn't have a will that was separate than God's will. It wasn't a me, I want this, but God wants that struggle. It was like, if God wants that, of course I want that. Like, I see the greatness of God. I experience the greatness of God. 
I experience that God is the life force within everything. So why on earth would I want something different than the life force within everything? Like, like they, so it's less fragmented. Yeah, they were absolute channels in the sense that they didn't have... The, the language that the tongue uses is that they were chariots. Now, if you think about what a chariot is or a car is, for example, it's completely subservient to the driver. Not subservient in the way that... Right, but, but it's slightly different because it's not subservient in the way that I'm a servant in the sense, and we've spoken about this in a past class about a servant as in I'm degraded. Mm-hmm. But I, I have created a space within myself where I can receive the flow of something so much greater than myself. And I stand in awe of that and I channel it like a pipe directly through the vessel, which is my body. And so everything I say, everything I think, and everything I do is completely... God speaking through me, doing through me. And because they were these absolute channels of divine energy in the world, because of this, they merited transmitting to their descendants coming after them forever, a nefesh, ruch, and a neshama, from the ten holy spheres of the four worlds of Atsila, Spiria, Yitzira, and Asiya, to each according to his station and according to his deeds. In parentheses, he says that when a person works on themselves, they also experience a higher level of light shining through their soul. Now, we spoke about the fact that all souls come from the same place originally. They all come from Chachma which is the meeting point between Ein Soif and where Tzimtzum begins, which is the structure of the world. All the souls were conceived in that point, in that place. And then they go through this process of gestation, which is that they travel down through the worlds of Atsila, Spiria, Atsira, and they go through all the different rungs in the world, and it hones out the, the unique personality of the soul. Does a mother experience that soul as well? Does she experience her baby's soul? It's a good question. I, I, would, I would think it has to do with the mother's spiritual sensitivity and her ability to pick up things. I, I know personally from my experience that I always felt the personality of my baby whilst I was pregnant with it. Each of my kids, I got a sense of their personalities before they were born, just by feeling the energy of the baby which is interesting but not everyone can do that and I also felt I also knew if it was a boy or a girl I could feel if it was a boy or a girl really? yeah yeah how? because so, how? I would just kind of close my eyes and imagine I was just traveling down to my uterus and just feel what I feel in that space so without bringing any of my stuff into it just what is there what does it feel like and the energy of a boy, I always felt, was much more simple than the energy of a girl. And the only way I could describe it is like one color versus multicolored. Definitely, the more you practice this kind of stillness and listening, you pick up more. When you have an expectation that you should be able to pick up something, you can't pick up anything. And it's just about listening and noticing very, very subtle pulses and changes and shifts in energy. Like, for example, if you're feeling anxiety, there's a shift in your personal energy and your personal energy shift would be like a running in your heart your inner world doesn't feel really relaxed and peaceful it feels like there's a it's like a snow globe shaken up in there so that's a vibration you're picking up that that's a pattern of movement that you're picking up and when you start to realize that that's what that's you putting up your antennas for those kind of patterns you start to feel them everywhere you can walk into a room and pick up the vibration of the room just like you can pick it up in your own body you can also pick it up outside your body the more you become aware of what it feels like in your own body the more you become sensitive to noticing it outside of your body when you listen and you feel so you start off by listening and feeling inside and then you can then listen and feel outside and it's just a slow progression of developing a skill of being able to listen in it's a very very slow progression but 
the more you listen, the more you hear, and you can attune yourself to hear it. The interesting thing to recognize is that the difference between animal soul consciousness and divine soul consciousness is that divine soul consciousness is always in a state of expansion and joy and honesty and confidence. It's always in that high vibration, whereas the animal soul consciousness will keep us constricted and fear-based and stressed to live from that place of reactivity. And a lot of times we experience Judaism through the animal soul consciousness and that's when we don't like it, that's when it triggers us, that's when it annoys us. Because it's actually that we're experiencing spiritual practices through the animal soul consciousness. That means it feels heavy, it feels hard, it feels suffocating, it feels constricting. And even though we're doing something religious, it could be coming completely from animal soul consciousness. And then it doesn't feel expansive and it doesn't feel light. The energy of Kedusha is expansive and freeing. Okay, so let's get back to what we were saying here. So what we were saying is that a nefesh, a ruch, and a shama, we receive from one of the four worlds. Now what it means received from one of the four worlds is that it, they all come from this original place. We said chachmah but wherever it ends up traveling through, and some people come down to the world with very spiritually desensitized souls, they would be, let's say, for example, from Malchus of Asiya. So it's like the lowest rung on the ladder. So... You have the world of Vatsilas and you've got you've got Chachma Vatsilas, you've got Bina Vatsilas, you've got you know, and all the way down to the sensorist, and you've got Briam and you've got all the different ten levels of there. The lowest world, which is the world of Asiya, lowest always means least revelation of divine light. The lowest rung, which is Malchus. And so that would be someone who comes to the world very spiritually desensitized. But even that person, even if their soul comes from the place of Malchus of Asiya, even someone who doesn't even know that they're Jewish, who has never ever learned about God, still, they have a soul which comes from somewhere in the Holy Spheres. Since all of the spheres and worlds are interlinked, they all have access to the highest worlds and God as he expresses himself in infinite light, or in Sof. So even if you have a soul that comes from Malchus of Asiya, because God is one unified field, Everything is interlinked with everything. It's not like there are parts and they're disconnected from each other. So within Malchus of Asiya, there is all of the, all of the rungs of the world of Asiya. And within Chachma of Asiya, then you have all the rungs of the world above it. And within that, you have all the worlds of the world above it. And everything is interlinked. So therefore, everything there's a direct channel of divine light that is flowing into this person. All it means is that there's more curtains, let's say, more filters that it's flowing through. Some people may experience a soul that has less filters on it. Let's say the divine light is shining and there's, it's only shining through five filters or 10 filters or 25 filters. And the person who's on, the, let's say, the, the lowest rung in the, in the lowest world, let's say, is shining through 40 filters because there's four worlds and each world has 10 main levels to it. But with each level, there's sub-levels and sub-levels. So we're just saying around, let's say. But it's the same light that's shining through 40 filters, and therefore, if you take, peel back the filters, you get back to the same place. It's always just the same light. Therefore, we always have access to infinite, infinite light. We all have access to our Sof. And it comes to pass that the blessed Ein Sof is garbed, as it were, in the, in the wisdom or the Chachma of the soul of a person, whatever sort of Jew he may be. So even if, for example, my soul in general comes from Malchus of Asiya, which we said is the lowest level, my soul itself contains within it the ten spheres. But the Aryan soul, the infinite aspect of Hashem, shines through primarily the Chachma part of the soul. 
but the, from the Chochma part of the soul, it then flows to all the other parts of the soul, all the way right down to Malchus, which is again the lowest part of the soul. So it's like, it's like the order of the filters. Chochma is the, is the place within inside of a person that is the capacity to open up and experience something of Orient Soif. Why? Because Chochma comes from the word Koyachma, which is the power of what is that which is not yet comprehended and understood or grasped intellectually. And God cannot be comprehended fully or grasped intellectually. So it's the one part of our, our being that has the capacity to just say, I don't know, what is this? And is open to the space of who knows, an open space of curiosity that allows us to experience something of, or even just allow our minds to stretch enough to say there might be something more. In the space of Bina or space of Das or the Midas, we can become very ju- judgmental about things. But this one space of Chachma, which is this open, curious space where I don't have a preconceived notion or story. I'm not operating from this place of I already know. I'm saying, what is this? From that place, I have access to the infinite light of God, which is something that we can't actually genuinely know in any kind of... We can know what it isn't, and we can get a feel for it through maybe some analogies and ways of understanding what it isn't. But to actually know what this infinite light is from a finite perspective, from a finite brain, is impossible. So really, Chochmah is the bridge or the gap. It's like a window into the world of infinity inside of our minds. And when we're in that open space, what happens is often we gain insight or perspective. Artists will often say, being in the flow state or that open state, and then all of a sudden, boom, you get an idea, you get an insight one flash like this lightning flash it's this potential for what is it's an open state that which is not yet comprehended and understood or grasped intellectually which also means there's no story behind it there's no assumptions behind it it's just a really open state people who are who are trapped in clipper consciousness don't have access to chachma people who've already made judgments they already draw conclusions they already know why things are the way they are they're not open to hearing something new or learning something new so they're in in, in that trapped state and they don't have Right, they don't have access to this, to this light. So therefore, the light of the Ein Soif, infinity of God, blessed be he, who can in no way be comprehended by any thought, can shine through this Chochmah. The Chochmah of the soul is an opening or a window that allows for infinity to shine in. Hence, this includes all Jews, even people who can't learn, believe in God, since faith is beyond understanding and comprehension. This is where we come to the concept of what Amuna is. Amuna is beyond logical understanding. And so what is Amuna? Amuna is Amuna comes from Chachma because it's a belief and a felt sense, which is beyond understanding. This felt sense that I know God exists and I believe in God. It's not a logical thought process. It's not like within the People realm of language. People born with like a, like, a, like a better affinity to Amuna. Yeah, some people are more spiritually sensitive. Yeah, because it's a sense. Just mm-hmm. like some people can see clearer and hear clearer. It, it's, a, it's a sense. So it's the sense of the soul is that of Amuna is sensing divine. Um, sensing talk? on this level of Amuna, in this place of faith in God, it's beyond understanding because God is so much greater than we can possibly understand. And even if we spend our whole lives learning about the things that we can know about God, there is a mitzvah to know and to try and know what we can know, to learn everything about God that is available to us in the Torah. And then whatever we do learn about God is nothing compared to what God actually is. It's just really describing to us what God isn't, so that we don't have assumptions. And then Amuna is the next stage. It's like, okay, so now I know what God isn't, so now I just believe that God is everything else. 
whatever it is that I don't know. And what he says is that when one is standing before Hashem, the one who has a lot of wisdom about Hashem and the one who doesn't have any wisdom at all, are all the same. We're all exactly the same because God cannot be grasped by means of a thought in the intellect. So God is equally revealed as shining through the Chachma of a person who is in a state of Amunah, regardless of how much knowledge they have. Because it's not because of intelligence that we're believing in God, because intelligence only takes us to the Yodata Hayyam, to knowing God. But what we can't know, what is beyond our ability to our brain to know, that is, that is beyond even the most intelligent person's ability to know. So in that state, we're all equal in front of God. In that state of Amunah, all men are like fools in his blessed presence. And therefore, even the transgressors of Israel, in the majority of cases, sacrifice their lives for the sanctity of God's name and suffer harsh torture rather than deny the one God, although they are ignorant of God's greatness. And whatever little knowledge they do possess, they do not think deeply about it at all. They do not give up their lives by reason of any knowledge and contemplation of God. Rather, they suffer martyrdom without any knowledge and reflection, but as if it were absolutely impossible to renounce the one God and do so without any reason or hesitation whatsoever. This is because the one God illuminates and animates the entire nefesh through being clothed in its faculty of Chachmah, which is beyond any graspable and understandable knowledge or intelligence. So basically, in this moment where a person's life is threatened, when life and death situation occurs, the Chachmah becomes available to and shines through the rest of the psyche of the person. And what it does in, in that moment is it takes over completely. So there's a lot of times where a Chachmah is sleeping. And that's when we're in a state of judging life. We don't have access to it, this place of infinity. But in that moment where all of our judgments are blown out the window because we're put in this position of life and death, so then it's not about what we know anymore. It's not about the judgments of life or what people are going to think of me. It just breaks open a dam and this is the only possible option. I just won't renounce God. It's something like flying a freeze. Yes, but it's not coming from a chaotic place of the midas. It's coming from... It sounds it, like the amygdala. Yeah, like the... yes. It does sound like the amygdala. And when I was learning this, I was actually thinking about that. But what he's describing is something very different. It's a very deep sense of peace and knowing. It's not coming from a panicked place, which would be the midas in a state of chaos where there's no das. It's like just absolute pure serenity, serenity that this is, this is what I'm going to do and there's no doubts in my mind. So why a Jew would die al-Kiddush Hashem? Why would a Jew give up their life? So this is what he explains is that the divine soul of a Jew is compared to a flame because it's always flickering upwards, yearning to return to its source. Its nature is that it wants to return even though it knows that if it does reunite with its source, it would cease to exist as a separate entity. So basically, the definition of nature is, is anything that is not in the realm of reason or understanding, it's just what that thing is. Now, there's four elements in the world. We've got earth, air, fire, and water. The more dense the element, the lower or the, the more core it is, and then it's surrounded by the next layer. So earth is the center of the world. And then you have water that surrounds it. So you've got the earth, and then you have the water, then you have the air, and then you have fire. So everything goes back to its source. For example, air rises, fire rises, water flows down, and so does earth flow down. And the nature of a flame is flickering up, almost like it's trying to escape from the wick and go back to its source. It's only because the wick is holding it down that, it, that it's here. 
And every person's soul is a flame of God in the sense that even if that fire would be able to escape from its wick, what would happen is it would reunite to its source in all the fire, but it would cease to exist as a separate entity. It would cease to exist as as a little flame that could have, for example, been in a dark room and made all the difference in the world to this dark room. If you were in a dark room and you had a candle, that could be the difference between life and death for a person. That candle can make a massive difference in a dark room, but take that candle and put it in its source, go back into the sun. It loses its identity, it loses everything, yet still yearns to go back there. It's the same thing about the soul of a person. Is we're, we're basically all candles in a big dark world, and we are each individually lighting up our corner of the world in our own way. And yet there is the, the divine soul inside of every Jew is always yearning to reunite with its source in God and connect to God. Samalachanafshi, always yearning for that connection as an existential yearning for deep, deep connection. And if we don't understand that it's towards God, and we often think that it's this emptiness, this existential angst and this loneliness that we feel, we often think it might be because I need more chocolate cake or more cigarettes or whatever it is. Addicts feel it the deepest. And that's why they become addicts, because they can't cope with that feeling of existential angst, which is just this yearning of the soul to return back to its source. And if every soul is compared to this flame that's flickering upward, so here too, the desire for the soul to return to its source, even at the cost of losing itself, is not something that makes sense. It's just the nature of the soul. And it comes from the Chachma part of the soul. The Chachma part of the soul is the part that has access to the infinity of God. This part of one's soul is accessed when one stands in a state of complete openness, empty of self-consciousness, standing in the silent wonder of what is. In this state, one becomes a channel to receive whatever flows in. Any idea, inspiration, stroke of genius, whatever it is, it's God's infinite wisdom. And one can only receive it if they remove preconceived stories and notions from the picture, knowing they are only a channel for something that's so much greater than themselves. From Chachma also comes the flow of life force and energy for the entire person. So the more we're able to be in this open expanded space of curiosity the more energy we feel the more judgments and stories that we live that go around in our head and that we buy into the more constricted our energy becomes and the more stuck we feel so this state is the opposite of what klippa is the foundation of all klippa is the belief or the view that i am alone separate disconnected from the source of all things whereas in the state of chachma i am a part of everything I'm part of this infinite expanded space and I am in this space of curious wonder and experiencing myself as part of that. And that's where I have contact with Ein Sof. So when a person sees the world through the eyes of separateness or klipa, consciousness, the chachma element of the soul is in exile. It remains buried deep within the person. So it gets shut down inside of a person. And in this state, one may feel stuck, blocked or apathetic. Lacking a yearning towards God, really not feeling like I, I have this existential desire to, to connect to God at all. And the clipper covers over the inherited natural yearning all people possess, and therefore it is called a hidden love. It's called a hidden love, it's not necessarily revealed in this state. So the exile only affects the part of the chachma that is in the nefesh, which is the blood and the heart of the person, not the chachma in the ruch and neshama. Yet it is still silent within the person, just like someone is sleeping. When someone is sleeping, they're still fully present. They still have all their faculties, but they're just not expressing themselves at all in any kind of way. But when a person is confronted with a test in the area of a muna, which is beyond 
logical thought process, which comes, this comes from Chachma. So the convert or die situation, the Chachma wakes up and it comes out of exile and it completely takes over the person over to the point where all the Klippa internal struggle vanishes. So it's such a, it's such a complete takeover. But there's no doubt or questions or struggle inside of me. It's such a bright light that just shines through my whole being to the point where I have no questions or doubts. It's just so clear that this is what I'm going to do and I don't have any internal struggle about it. It's just so black and white. And the person cannot possibly sin, not in thought, speech or action. They can't even put on an act of betraying Hashem to save their life whilst not really sinning and then they would rather sacrifice their life than to do that. Chochma is, is a timeless place because in the infinite, in Saif, there is no time and space. So in that moment, every moment is, is an eternal moment. So there's no thinking and making calculations. I can do this now and then later I can change my mind or I can do Teshiva. There isn't such a thing as past, present and future. Each moment is an eternal moment. That's what happens in a state of Chochma. It's a flow state of really losing track of time and it's just so clear that this is where I'm going to be right now and this is what my reality is and that's what kicks in that's what kicks in when a person's in this position of sacrificing their life and then he goes on to say just one more point is that a person only ever sins or does any kind of act that disconnects them on some level from God because like we said we can never be disconnected from God but we can create more shells between us and the divine light flowing through us so we can feel more disconnected from God and a person only does that if they don't consciously realize what the effect of this, of this act will be, and they become a temporarily insane. He says the word he uses, ruchashtas, so like a little bit of temporary insanity. And really, I think the best way to understand it is a desperate state or a dysregulated state. They're not, when a person's in a, in a dysregulated state, they're not fully aware of the consequence of any given action. They feel impulsively compelled to do something. And the temporary insanity is like literally half of your brain is shut down. Your prefrontal cortex shuts down. So you literally feel driven by parts of yourself that are not the full you. You're not being driven by your value system and the, the whole of who you are, but rather by this impulsive place. And that is what he calls the temporary insanity that would cause any person to ever do any act that would create more blocks between the flow of divine light and their, and their awareness of it. Okay, question. Yeah, I just want to, is it also hidden, this innate love? Because if we, if it was open, would we want to return our souls to Hashem? It's a great question. And that is this, that is the constant paradox that we hold between the animal soul and the divine soul. The divine soul genuinely just wants to return itself back to, back to its source in God. But the animal soul is constantly saying, no, survive, survive. It's driven for survival, you break a bone, it starts to knit it back together. You cut yourself, it, it patches you back up. Everything is like constantly survival, preservation of life, procreation. This is what the animal soul is programmed for. So you have this massive paradox within us. On the one hand, there's a part of me that I may not have access to a lot of the time. I may not feel it or experience it a lot of the time, but it's still there within me that is yearning to just leave my body and return back to its source, just like a flame on a candle, just flickering upwards. And another part of me that's like grabbing me and pulling me down into the reality of the world. And we live with this paradox inside of us. Often we're not aware of how strong it is because we're desensitized to it. But this is the whole purpose of us being here is integrating the two souls. 
which is to be able to transform and guide and use the animal soul to draw down more light into the world and at the same time to give the the divine soul a home where it feels that it can connect to god whilst it's here it doesn't only have to escape the body to get connection with god but it can do a mitzvah right now and it can it can do something an act of connection with god right now so it's about integrating the two souls and that's really our work is to guide the animal soul by giving it awareness and understanding and making choices according to our value systems so surviving and and developing a unique and, and specifically personalized approach to divine service every single person has a unique and specific way that they connect to god which is different than anybody else's this is the difference between working with Klippas Neuger and, and, and the Kedusha, like every mitzvah that we do, is same for everybody. But when we interact with Klippas Neuger, everyone has their own style of that. And that's a unique gift that we give to God every single interaction that we have with our food, with our clothing, with our homes, is a unique gift that we have an opportunity to give to God. Whereas the mitzvahs are all the same for everybody. So, so really, the animal soul comes from Klippas Neuger. So therefore, it's very connected with Klippas Neuger, how we interact with the everyday aspects of life. And we're working together with these two opposite, which is the run, the desire to move forward, and the shiv, which has come back into my body. There's a reason why I'm here. I came into this world as a candle to bring light into this dark space. How can I do that now by using the unique personality that I have in my animal soul, my unique gifts that I have in my body, and the divine soul together. How can we work this out? It's a team that not necessarily everyone wants to be here. And they have to somehow figure out how so to make it work. It. And we're going to learn as we go along that actually part of our divine service is to reveal the hidden love of God in our heart. Because when we experience how much we love God, we actually want to do all the mitzvahs that are hard for us to do. But that's after you've, you've understood that you need your body right. in order to return. If you didn't know it and you didn't understand why you felt this way then you may feel extremely chaotic, an uh, extreme amount of internal anxiety and, and inner pain. And you'd have to figure out what that's all about to be able to bear it, to be able to bear living with it. But this whole idea is that when the soul wants to run and it wants to connect to God and it feels that really strong love or the language of the Alter Rebbe is like a flaming coals, like burning inside of the heart, like a really deep desire, an infatuation for God. Just like a person would experience that towards another person. The Alter Rebbe says, channel that love to do something. If you really love another person, you channel that love in doing an act of love for that person. And that, that feeling of love can be a massive form of energy that will actually get you moving to do that act of love. And so he says that that's the return, returning back into your body and recognizing that if my soul leaves my body, I may experience divine light. I may be able to say, wow, look at God. But actual intimacy with God, actually hugging God, I can only do that in a body. I can only do that here on earth. So let me take this opportunity to do a mitzvah or act of kindness towards another person. Whatever it is, that's where I actually grasp God in my hands. And when I know that, then there's a peace. I can come back into my body and I can say, okay, what mitzvah can I do now? And that's, that kind of calms the flames because I can channel this love by doing an act of love. And then there may come another time where I feel that again. So there's this run, which is the emotion, which comes out through meditation or through prayer. And then there's the returning, which is, how do I channel that into my life? Practically speaking, what actions am I gonna to take to take this emotion and channel it into bettering the world 
and being that candle and fulfilling the mission why I'm here, which is being a candle in a dark space. So we have that paradox that we live with, but it's what fuels our ability to do that work. That existential angst, is that like, that's not the same thing as the, as that internal burning desire. It's two different things. The well, angst is like the negative of that burning desire. When we, when we misinterpret, we don't understand and we don't channel the, uh, the internal, the angst, then it can become very fragmented. So what, what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, you're going to have a very spiritually sensitive person who is yearning for connection with something that's greater than themselves. But if they're not educated and taught about how to connect to God and what God is, this is what the whole AA is based on. There's a power that's greater than me, right? Then I will feel so uncomfortable in my own skin, I'm going to have to find something to, to, fill, that, to fill that void. And actually, the part of the brain that gets filled up when we feel connection with other people, like a deep bonding connection with other people, is the same part of the brain that is filled up when we use any form of drug of choice. That's why they become drugs, we become addicted to them, because they give us that feeling of connection, even if we're not deeply actually connecting to anything, but other than a substance, yeah, other than a substance. But what it does is it gives us the illusion that we are connected because we're just tr- craving connection. And it's the same thing, like a deep connection with another person, deep connection with God. Why is it that when I have a really deeply bonding connection with another person, it fills me as well? Because deep bonding connection with another person is a deep bonding connection to, to God's light within that person. And God's light within each person is a unique expression of God's light in the world. And when we crave contact with another person, which is probably the biggest craving that every human being has, is attachment. And we're not craving superficial attachment, we're craving emotional connection. And if we with someone and we feel like they're blocked, it annoys us because we really just want to feel and connect with another in the most authentic, honest, expanded, joyful, connected, loving way. That's what we crave. And when we don't have that, we feel lonely, we feel abandoned, we feel rejected, we feel ashamed. And it takes up all our headspace. It's like literally the one thing we care the most about, to connect to God and connect to the God within each other. And just realize that we're all part of the same God. Right, yeah. So when we connect to another person, what we look craving to connect to is the divine soul within them, which is the expanded, confident, joyful, loving, and honest aspect of that person, which is also the part of the person that is a muna, it's an open space of, of belief, and is also completely innocent, which means there's no judgment on it. It's not bad or good or right or wrong. It just is what it is. So let's just summarize what we have done today so far. Chachma is an open state of curiosity and wonder. It doesn't have preconceived notions and stories or judgments. It's beyond good, bad, right, wrong, success, failure, superior, inferior. There's no judgment of me in the space of Chachma. For that matter, there is no self-consciousness at all. Rather, there's only total presence and openness to what is. Being present and open to what is, is the doorway to infinite possibilities. For insight, genius, creativity and light without end are in self to channel through. This is why Chachma and humility are synonymous, because in this state, we are a complete channel for something so much greater than our finite part that we identify as me. Therefore, the light of the Ein infinity of God, blessed be he, who can in no way be comprehended by any thought, can shine through. The Chachma of the soul is an opening or a window that allows us to touch or get 
a sense of something so much greater than ourselves. And this is why all Jews, even those who can't learn, have emuna in Hashem, a felt sense or belief in Hashem, since emuna is beyond understanding and comprehension. And therefore, emuna comes from Chachma, because it's a felt sense and a belief in God that is beyond logic. When we stand before infinity, the one who has a lot of wisdom and the one who doesn't are all the same. What is a lot in the face of infinity? Since God cannot be grasped by means of a thought in the intellect, more knowledge or less knowledge does not equal more emuna or less emuna. When we stand in the face of infinity, all men are like fools in his blessed presence. Emuna is really, it, it's a felt sense of God's presence in our lives. Beyond logic. And this understanding about Chachma and Amuna is the key to understanding why, when a Jew is faced with the ultimatum, convert to another religion or die, and throughout the ages we have been faced with many ultimatums like this, in the majority of cases they will choose martyrdom, and this is not logical, it makes no sense, as all humans are hardwired for survival. So then we follow with the question of why would a Jew sacrifice their life for God? And the answer to this question begins by understanding spiritual makeup of or nature of a Jew. As stated earlier, every Jew possesses a divine soul that is uniquely Jewish and has been inherited from the patriarchs. The divine soul of a Jew is compared to a flame because it's always flickering upwards, yearning to return to its source. The nature of all things is to be drawn back to its elemental source regardless of whether this would cause it to cease existing as a separate entity. The source of the element of earth is the core of the world. Surrounding it is water, air, and then fire. Each element flows to its source when released from any given container or compound. Earth sinks to the bottom of the water, water flows down towards the sea, air will rise into the atmosphere, and fire will rise to its source in the sublunar sphere. The definition of nature used here is anything that is not in the realm of reason and understanding, yet it consistently acts in a specific way. Is just what it is. Why does water flow downwards? Why is snow cold? Why do birds eat worms? It's just nature. Nature is the way that God conceals himself in this world through structure, laws, and boundaries. Part of this divine setup is the fact that God created a natural law that says that all things are drawn to their elemental source. The desire of the divine soul to return to its source, even at the cost of losing itself, is not something that makes sense. It's just its nature. The nature comes from Chachma, as it transcends logic completely. Chachma is also the definition of Kedusha, and the source of all things of that realm, as it is the only part of ourselves that has the capacity to let go of self-consciousness, self-judgment, and dishonesty completely. These being the sources of all blocks and distortions, which are Klippa in this world. Klippa is the opposite of Kedusha, as its foundation is the belief or view that I am alone, I am separate and disconnected from the source of all things, which means I can be right or wrong, good or bad, inferior or superior, a success or a failure. I can attach these labels to myself. The belief that these labels define me keeps me really trapped. In contrast, Kedusha is a state beyond labels and definitions. It's free and complete openness empty of self-consciousness, standing in silent wonder of what is. In this state, we become a channel to receive whatever flows in, an idea, inspiration, a stroke of genius, 
speech or action, whatever it is, it's God's infinite wisdom and strength coming through us. And we can only receive it if we know all success is God's. And we are only a channel for things to flow through us. Our flow of lifeless energy comes from this Chachmah. In this state, we are plugged into the generator, the infinite flow of life. We don't feel tired. The more we let go of stories and judgments, the more the energy flows through us. And as soon as self-consciousness creeps in, Chachmah goes to sleep. And then we're running on battery life, which means we become tired and depleted. Artists are especially aware of creative block and its opposite, the flow state. The flow state is when we experience a huge amount of pleasure and energy from creativity or creative genius flowing through us. We lose track of space and time and often marvel at what is created in the end, having a sense that it came through us and not from us. As Julian Cameron, author of The Artist's Way, wrote, all creativity is eavesdropping on God. When we think that we are the ones creating, we often get stuck because is it good enough? Will people like it? Is it perfect to my standards of perfection? And we get stuck on whatever I'm creating is an expression of me. And then what will people think of me? This thought process blocks the flow of infinity coming through us. One of the keys that help us to stay in the flow state is remembering all success is God's, all failure is God gently reminding me that I thought it was me. So when we see the world through the eyes of separateness, i.e. klipa, the chachma element of the divine soul is in exile in the body. It remains buried deep within us in a state of sleep. And in this state of consciousness, we may feel stuck, blocked or apathetic and experience a lack of yearning towards God. The klipa covers over the inherited natural love we possess and therefore it is called a hidden love because often we are not aware of it being there at all. The exile only affects the part of the chachma in the nefesh, which is in the biology of the person, not the chachma in the ruach or the neshama. However, those levels can also go to sleep and be silent within us. But when we are confronted with a test in the area of amuna, which comes from chachma, i.e. convert or die, the Chachma wakes up, it comes out of exile and completely takes over the entire body and soul to the point where all the klipa, all the internal struggle vanishes. There's no internal struggle at all. The divine reality is crystal clear and the only desire we have, nothing else matters. In this state, we cannot possibly sin, not in thought, speech or action. We can't even put on a superficial act of betraying God to save our lives. In this state, we would rather sacrifice our life than do that. The force of the divine light of the Ein Soif that is clothed in the soul's faculty of Chochmah is so intense as to banish and repel the Sitrach and the Klippa completely. And last but not least, the last point that we said, we were talking about a state of temporary insanity. We were saying that if this is the case, that when our true nature comes out, it is so powerful and confident that it doesn't doubt for one second that it wants to sacrifice everything for God, then how is it possible for a person to live a lifetime where they do act after act and think thought after thought that betrays this true nature? It is only possible for a person to live this way due to the clipper consciousness that is like a temporary insanity. It covers over our true nature and disconnects us from ourselves, leaving us feeling a little dead inside or as if we were sleepwalking through life. 
following one impulse after another and never really knowing who we are. An even deeper level of darkness is when we're not even aware that we are feeling dead inside as we don't even know another way. And that's where we will continue next time.